church a good place to talk about doubts? I don't know. I think some churches doubt shame. Is that a word? Doubt shame? Can I say that? So, uh, I'm just going to tell you, because we're going to talk about doubts today. I'm just going to tell you, for me, doubts come and go. Sometimes I'll have a lot of doubts, and sometimes I won't. Sometimes I doubt my salvation. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I doubt whether or not I have the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes, sometimes I doubt whether any of this is real. Most of the time I don't. But sometimes I doubt. It's not something that I want because doubt is awful. Like doubts are, doubts are not peaceful. Doubts are not joy-giving. Doubts make you anxious. But I have them. Do you have any doubts? Do you ever talk about your doubts? Talking about doubts today, if you'd like to open your Bibles with me to John chapter 20 and verse 19, you can join me there. John chapter 20 and verse 19. Let me pray before we jump in. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would stand in front of me while I'm in front of them, that you would talk over me while I talk to them. Do this, Lord, for your sake, for your glory's sake. Do this for our sake, because we need a word from you. And do this for the world's sake, because they need us to point them to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we are in John chapter 20, verse 19. Jesus has died, and he has been buried, and he has risen again and appeared to Mary Magdalene. Mary has then gone to the disciples and told them that she saw the Lord, and they are like, I don't know. And so here we are. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked uh, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Why are they afraid? Well, they're afraid because the people that just put Jesus to death may want to put them to death. So they're really afraid and they're hiding. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Jesus is going to say this phrase, Peace be with you, three times in the section we're going to read today. I think that's because it's important. I think he wants them to have peace because they've had an encounter with him. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands. Hey, why would he show them his hands? Evidence, right? It, it's me. What happened to his hands? They had nails driven through them as he's spikes driven through them as he's crucified. 
He showed them his hands and his side. What happened to his side? Well, he had the Roman spear driven up into his side. And water and blood flowed out. When the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. This is the fulfillment of prophecy when Jesus told them, all the world is going to rejoice, and you are going to be sorrowful, and then I'm going to return to you, and then you will have joy. And this is the fulfillment of what Jesus said. Then Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This is the fulfillment of John 17, where Jesus prays for his disciples and says, just like the Father sent me, I am sending you. And they're sent with the good news of the forgiveness of sins. And so he says, and we had said this to them, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Really important that they receive the Holy Spirit. This is probably a precursor, a foretaste to Pentecost when the Spirit will be poured out on the church. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold the forgiveness of any, it is withheld. I'm going to have Brendan come up and explain this verse um, to you. I'm kidding. Uh, This is a really hard one to explain. Some of you have been drifting off, thinking about other things, and now you're awake. Uh, But this is a really hard verse to explain. Like, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold the forgiveness of any, it is withheld. Like, what can that possibly mean? So does this mean that if I withhold forgiveness from Titus, that Titus can't be forgiven by God? Is that what that means? Does this mean that if I decide to forgive Sam, that Sam can be forgiven by God? I mean, that's kind of what it looks like. It kind of looks like heaven endorses our decisions. But one of the principal, one of the most important principles of interpretation is you interpret Scripture with other Scripture. So, do you read other places in the Bible that you can decide whether or not God forgives someone or whether or not God will decide not to forgive someone? Like 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't say, as long as the church endorses that decision. So what can this mean? Well, one of the ways to understand it is to remember that these yous are plural. So if y'all forgive the sins of any, any is plural, they, that's plural, are forgiven them, that's plural. If y'all withhold the forgiveness of sins of any, that's plural, it is withheld. So the church would say to believers, remember the gospel. Remember Jesus died, remember Jesus was buried, remember Jesus rose, and so you are forgiven. The church would say to the church, you are forgiven. And the church would say as a warning to the world, you are not forgiven yet because you have not believed. That's one way to understand this passage. Another way to understand this passage is to say, When we announce the gospel of forgiveness, we are giving people an opportunity to receive the forgiveness of sins. When we don't announce the gospel, we are in some ways making the choice for the other person that they never even get the chance 
to ask for the forgiveness of sins. However you take this, what you have to say in big picture is that, make sure I'm still plugged in here, I heard myself kind of check out for a second. What, whatever you, however you take this, what you have to say in big context is Jesus sent the disciples, he equipped the disciples um, with his Holy Spirit and the message. Let's keep rolling here in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the disciples called the twin, or Didymus, some of you have Didymus, some of you have the twin, I just wanted to include the footnote that way so you weren't thinking they got the names mixed up. He was not with them when Jesus came. So, Jesus shows up, the disciples, they're locked in the room because they're afraid. Jesus shows them his hand. He shows them his side, lifts up his shirt and says, look at it, here's my side. You see that? Was Thomas there? You can say it out loud. It's okay to talk in church. Was he there? No, he was not there. Okay. That's important for the story. The other disciples told him, we have seen the resurrected Lord. We have seen Jesus. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So Thomas is like, I've got to see and I've got to touch. And if I don't see, and if I don't touch, then I will never believe. Eight days later. So I have that circled in red because I think it's important. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again. And Thomas was expelled because he said he had doubts and didn't believe it. No. And the disciples all doubt-shamed Thomas until Thomas just gave up and quit showing up. And Thomas was, what are those next two words you have in your Bible? Thomas was with them. Here's, here's, here's the lesson I think we can take from this. And, and I was listening to a guy that preached this sermon on Easter Sunday. And... Uh, he pointed this out, and I had never seen this before. But I think this is really, really important. And this is something that, you know how when you, you always believe something, but when you hear someone else say it, you're like, oh yeah, that's exactly it. Well, like when you have your doubts, the best thing you can do is keep showing up. When you're doubting, the best thing you can do is keep showing up. And, keep, and this is the best place to say what your doubts are. Not the worst place. Like, let's say, let's say that you've committed to running a 5K. And you've committed to running, like a, a while ago, we did the Run for God 5K. And so we had 25 people, some ridiculous number. That might be too low. But we had, we had a huge number of people training for a 5K together. Um, and let's say you're like, you know, running is stupid. Yeah, thank you, Sam. Yeah. And, and, and you're like, running is stupid, and I hate it, and it's not making a difference. I am just going to quit. Okay, let's say you're really committed to running this 5K. 
Who's the best person to say that to? Where's the best place to say that? At the Run for God 5K. That's the best place to say that. Because they'll say, yep, I felt that way yesterday, or I feel that way right now, but let's keep running. You know, like, let's keep, let's keep moving. Let's say, let's say you want to get blind drunk. And this has been something that you've had a problem with for a really long time, getting really, really, really drunk. And you just want to go back to being drunk, and you don't want to deal with sobriety because life is hard, and you're like, I just want to get drunk. But you're going to AA, or you're going to a Christian or, uh, recovery organization or something, and you're like, what's, what's better? Is it better to say something like that at AA or at a Christian recovery organization? Or is it better to go to the bar and say that? That's right. Okay, let's say you're having your doubts about whether or not any of this is real. Let's say you're having your doubts about whether or not you're really saved. Let's say you're having your doubts about whether or not you should keep persevering in your faith. Where should be the best place to say that? Church should absolutely be the best place to say that. Now, why would people be afraid to say that at church? Judgment. Absolutely. And, and sometimes judgment comes in those people won't talk to you anymore and they just shun you and avoid you. Sometimes that's what judgment looks like. Sometimes judgment looks like that, because here's, here's the thing, a lot of times when people say, oh, I'm having my doubts, what people will do then is shout Christian bumper stickers at the person who just said that. <laughs> Everything happens for a reason! You know, like, God won't give you more than you can handle! Like, they just kind of shout it back at you after you express your doubt. Does that make you want to share more doubts with them? Okay, did, I, did you guys all hear that? Like, that does not help. And I think we shout that stuff back because we secretly kind of have those doubts too, and so we're shouting at ourselves as much as we're shouting at you. Like, don't make me face this. So we shout bumper stickers at each other. Let's stop doing that. See, if you, want this to be, if you want to be the kind of person that people can share doubts with. I mean, Thomas says that he has his doubts. What does it say that the disciples said to keep Thomas coming back? Nothing. They said nothing. Sometimes, believe it or not, that is the best thing you can say. Just listen. And if it's socially appropriate, give them a hug. When you doubt, keep showing up. And let's be a place where people would want to keep showing up and would want to feel like this is a place where they can talk about their doubts. Okay? So, Thomas is still there. Um, with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Hey, there it is again. Third time. 
And he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Okay, so what's the first thing Jesus says when he shows up and Thomas is there? Thomas, I'm so disappointed in you. You should be so ashamed, Thomas. How could you not believe? Is that what Jesus says? What does Jesus say to Thomas? Peace. Peace be with you. And let me show you my wounds. How did Jesus' wounds help us believe? How did Jesus' wounds help us have peace? I want to talk to you about that in just a second. What I want you to see first is this painting by Caravaggio. It was done about 400 years ago, 420 years ago. And it shows this, it depicts this. Um, and again, it's, it's just an artist's imagination at work. But it shows, it shows this scene. Where I'm just going to read it again. And so, then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here. Let me, let me take your hand and you put your finger right here. Here, let me, um, you know, go ahead and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Because that's what Thomas said he needed in order to believe. So Jesus is going to give him what he needs in order to believe. And so here's this artist rendition of this where Jesus is saying, here, how about you put your finger right here in my side? Because that is what you said you needed in order to believe. I show you that just to say, See Jesus' compassion. See Jesus' patience. See Jesus meeting people where they actually are. And Jesus says to Thomas, Do not disbelieve, but believe. Here's what I want you to know, because this is a command. Do not disbelieve, that's a command. But believe, that's a command. I want you to know that belief, just like doubt, is a choice. Belief is a choice. We're going to come back to this idea when we get over here in the third point. So I just kind of lay in a foundation for later on. That's this is going to be the third point when we talk about how belief is a choice. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Hey, what answered Thomas's doubts? Seeing the resurrected Jesus and his wounds. So, how do Jesus' wounds answer our doubts? So, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about some of the doubts we might have. Maybe you sometimes doubt that any of this is real. Maybe it's all fake. Remember what Jesus did. He shows up to Thomas, and he shows him his wounds. And before that, he showed up to the disciples and showed them his wounds. And what you might do if you're wrestling with, is this all fake? You might go back and read Psalm 22 about Jesus' wounds. You might go back and read Isaiah chapter 53 about Jesus' wounds. You might spend a lot of time in Matthew 
Mark, Luke, and John reading about Jesus' wounds because I'm telling you, his wounds are real. I don't think you read Psalm 22 and go, this is fake. I don't think you read Isaiah chapter 53 and go, I think this is all fake. I don't think you read the crucifixion narrative and go, this is all fake. His wounds are real. He loves you that much. It might be that it has nothing to do with that, and it's more like you came to know the Lord through this charismatic pastor. And you got to know, you really respected, really loved this charismatic pastor. And it turns out this charismatic, and by that I mean likable, very personable, easy for him to make friends, easy for him to influence and lead people. And it turns out that he was fake. He had this dark secret that he was very good at compartmentalizing. And when you learn about this secret that he compartmentalized versus the truth that he taught you, you're going, well, is any of it real? Can I believe anything? Should I doubt the truth about Jesus because he has these secrets? That's real. That happens all over the place. Let me just tell you, what you do when you have your doubts about people and how fake they are, or when the fakeness of people give you doubts about Jesus, you go back and you look at Jesus' wounds and remember, he's for real. Jesus is for real. His wounds are for real. He got wounded because of his integrity. He has that much integrity. He has that much love for you and love for me and commitment to doing what is right. Maybe you have questions that you can't answer. Questions that, you, that haunt you, like how did this happen or why did this happen or why this, why that, how this, how that, why isn't God, why didn't God you know, sometimes you ask and 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 God does not give you the answer that you want. And sometimes you ask, why would God allow this? And I'll just tell you, I don't know. But I look at his wounds and say, but I know he loves you. And I look at his resurrected body and I say, I know he's powerful. And I look at his wisdom in creating all things and holding it all together and I go, I know he has a good plan. But it starts with his wounds. Maybe you wonder whether or not you're really forgiven. Whether or not God could really forgive some of the stuff you've said. Some of the stuff you've done, some of the stuff you haven't done. 
So you go back to his wounds. They're enough. Maybe you worry because you worry all the time. You worry all the time about everything. You worry, you worry because the world seems like it's spinning out of control. And you worry because it seems like evil is winning. And you worry because you're worried and how can a good Christian worry? And so you worry about worrying. His wounds show us that he is good. His resurrection shows us that he is powerful. Rest in his wounds. Rest in his resurrection power. I don't know what your doubts are, but I know that when Jesus showed up to these disciples and answered their doubts, he started by showing them his wounds. Whatever your doubts are, look to his wounds. Thomas answered him and said, My Lord and my God, and Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those... By the way, I'm just going to go back. You know that there were some disciples who saw him and still doubted? I know you don't believe that because you think, well, if I saw him, I believe. Look, look, wait, wait, stop, stop. Look at me. Let's make eye contact just for a second. Matthew 28, verse 17, the disciples, these are the guys that have been with Jesus. These are the guys he's going to send out into all the world, right? They see the resurrected Lord. They see him. And what does it say in Matthew 28, verse 17? But some doubted. You can always find a way to doubt. You pray for something, pray for something, pray for something, pray for something, pray for something. It seems impossible. It finally happens. And then you say, well, thank my lucky stars. Or, well, I'm glad things just happen to work out that way. You know, like, well, you know, you can always attribute anything to chance if you try hard enough. You can. You can always find a way to doubt. And so Jesus does commend Thomas for believing here, I think. I think it is like, well, I'm glad you finally believe even though you see. Like, that's better than not believing. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. But look, this is how you and I are going to come to faith. And this is really the only way we come to faith is believing, which is a choice. Remember we said that earlier on? Believing is a choice that you believe even though you don't see. This is what Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 says. Faith is evidence of things not seen. Believing is a choice. This is what Peter said. I mean, he said this, he, maybe he was one of the guys there standing around watching Jesus interact with Thomas, hearing this said. And he says, this is how we come to faith. We come to faith without seeing. Belief is a choice. Based on evidence, but it's still, it's still a choice. So here's, here's what I want you to think of like when you think of doubting and you think of the choice of whether I'm going to choose to give in to doubt or I'm going to choose to give in to belief. 
because I think there's part of us that kind of panics when we doubt. That kind of panics because we wonder whether or not we're going to lose our faith. Well, panics about whether or not people are going to find out and doubt shame us. There's part of us that kind of panics when we, when we doubt. What I want you to see is that doubt is an opportunity to deepen your faith. Now, I know when, you, when I say that, you're probably like, well, that's not true. Okay, well, think of it this way. Think of it this way. You know the saying about courage, when, when people are like, I don't know if I can be brave because I feel afraid. What do we say then to them? Well, the only time you can have courage is when you're afraid. Haven't you heard that? And the more afraid you are, the braver you can be. Like, reason to be afraid and amount of fear is equal to the opportunity for bravery. If I go through life just smoothing and easy and nothing is ever difficult, I never really get the opportunity to be brave. What, what about grit? You know, you, just, you tell people, have grit. Or like one of, That's one of the things we work at cultivating in our kids is grit. And so how, do you, how can you have a lot of grit? Well, you need hard circumstances in your life. You don't get grit without going through something difficult. Yeah, it's the only way. And the harder the thing is that you got to accomplish, the more grit you get, you know, that you have the opportunity to cultivate. Hey, why would it not be true with doubt and faith? The more doubts you have, the more opportunity you have to grow in strong faith. Why would that not also be true? The darker and scarier and deeper the season of doubt, the brighter and stronger and more vibrant the faith that can come out of it. Doubt is an opportunity. I mean, this, I mean, I'm just telling you, as a pastor, the people I know that have the strongest faith have also been through the hardest things. They're the ones that struggle with doubt the most. I don't think that's a coincidence. So, when you doubt, don't panic. One pastor put it like this. When you doubt, don't panic. Process. Process. And I would put it like this. Process it in light of Jesus' wounds. Because his wounds give us peace. Here's how I would put this. If, if I could just say there's one sentence about Jesus that I want you to know. It would be this. That Jesus' wounds answer our doubts and give us peace. I'm not saying that you won't still wrestle with doubts. Because I'm saying that doubts, doubts are to faith what exercises to a muscle. Just like exercise tears the muscle down so it can rebuild stronger, doubts kind of tear the faith muscle down so it can rebuild stronger. And when we 
really work through these doubts and really come back again and again to Jesus' suffering and his resurrection and his love for us, when, when we meet that again and again, our, our faith grows back stronger and we are more peaceful people on the other side. And there's one passage I just want to leave with you. It's this one, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment or the chastisement that brought us, what's that next word? Peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would see where we each are and that you would pull us each closer to yourself. Lord, you know, you know what we each need. You know the exercise the hardship that we each need. You know the strengthening and the trials that we each need. Lord, I pray that you would meet each of us where we are and that you would pull us through to have stronger, more vibrant, more living faith on the other side. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.